0: Welcome to Journey Church. Happy December. My name is Daniel. I get the opportunity to teach God's Word today and uh, be lead pastor here. If you have a copy of God's Word, meet me in Luke chapter 1 as we begin uh, this new series today and a new season uh, called Advent. Uh, and before we uh, dive in, I just want to say a thank you to both Kevin and uh, Austin for the past two weeks of teaching so that my family and I could spend uh, so much needed time together uh, during the Thanksgiving um, holiday. But we start Advent. And uh, as you can see on probably the screen behind me or the series that you may have seen coming in, this is not just a new original uh, word that we came up with. It's trendy or anything, but this is This is the Latin word that means coming or arrival. And all of the Christmas season is a reminder of the coming or the arrival of Christ Jesus into the world the very first time. And all throughout Christian history past, they celebrated this season of remembering and longing, remembering about Christ's first coming, but longing for his second coming, which is why the Advent season or the Christmas season. Austin joked last week uh, uh, after Turkey Day, of uh, many of you probably have uh, family traditions, and uh, after you eat that last slice of turkey, you get out the Christmas tree, you finally turn on the Christmas music, and uh, I, I don't want to say that I'm more holy than anyone else, but our family, you know, we, we really celebrate a season, and our tree was up m- many weeks before that, but uh, I won't get into that much heated debate right now, but the reality is, is for all of us during this season— uh, we, we, we know that it's a season because there's this, all these different traditions that we may have, the music, the attire, the uh, decorations in your house, whether you go all out inside and out, or you just have a simple tree up in your home, like you know that there are these traditions that you celebrate during this time of year, even the giving and receiving of gifts that We are looking backwards, but also looking forwards at the coming and second coming of Christ. And depending on your tradition of uh, following Jesus, the Advent may or may more or less relate with you. But the Advent season is just this looking. It's looking back and looking forward. That we look backwards at the first coming of Christ, but also long for the next. And many of you, depending on your stage of life and your season of following Jesus, may more or less long for that next coming of Christ to make all things new again, more or less in certain seasons. Because we have these things that we desire to have and to hold and to experience, This season of Advent and Christmas for many of us may be reminders of the goodness of God to us in our lives. That there are so many things that we have to be thankful for. There's family members that we can't wait to gather around a table and eat a good meal and give them a gift. But there's others of us that this season is a reminder of lack And almost of a desert. That there are all these things in our life that we long for, but are yet to be fulfilled. And either of us, Jesus meets us in this moment to remind us that this season is about his arrival and how his arrival shapes history. How his arrival changes the landscape. And how his second arrival that is yet to happen is still a promise that will be fulfilled. So hopefully you're there with me in God's word of Luke chapter one. And all throughout the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at different individuals and how they responded to the first coming of Christ. And so this morning we look at the mother of Jesus and how she responded, how Mary responded to Jesus. Here's the scene that's set up. We'll pick up our reading in verse 28, just in a moment in Luke chapter one, but I'm going to set the scene for you in the first two verses. The first two verses, which are very traditional, start the Christmas narrative, if you will, where an angel, Gabriel, sent by God to a a young girl named Mary, who is most unknown of her background, her family lineage, but just a young Middle Eastern girl who's promised to a man named Joseph. Or she's engaged. Or your translation of the Bible in verse 26 and 27 may say something like betrothed. And that word or betrothal is or the closest thing we have to our engagement period, but it's it's different in their culture and setting because what it meant to be betrothed or engaged or promised to in uh, Mary's context and situation was different from ours. It was similar to our engagement, but it had legal ramifications already. That she was already uh, locked in to be married to Joseph, Joseph to her legally, but It's different in the sense of there is this period of waiting for them that their wedding day has yet to occur. So she's in this period of time, which could be a few weeks to a few months, depending on the family and the, uh, how the engagement took place, but she's promised to be to Joseph, but she has yet to have her wedding, but there are already legal, uh, binds their relationship legally. And this is the situation and setting that this angel shows up to Mary. And these are his words. Verse 28. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Imagine you as a young individual, a, a teenager most would say, an angel arrives on the scene and reveals himself unto you and and says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. I can only attempt to put myself in Mary's shoes, but it says she was troubled and she was trying to discern what kind of greeting this might be. This, This phrase that trying to discern literally means she's going through possible scenarios in her mind of trying to fill in the missing puzzle pieces of like, what is happening right now? Like, what is going on that this kind of greeting would be the kind of greeting that I could receive? For most, most scholars say that Mary was a super common name in this era for young girls to have. So a girl with a very common name in a little unknown town who's promised to be married that's waiting for her wedding day An angel reveals himself, says, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. In our mind, she's wondering. I'm a nobody from nowhere. What does it mean that I am favored? What can it mean that the Lord is with me? What, What is going on here? For many of us, for our vision of Mary, it's, um, rightly placed into our mind in some regard that we see Mary as quiet, as calm, as this symbol of faith. You know, most of us, we see Mary in the front yards of our neighbors that maybe in your own front yard of a nativity scene. She's this, this picture of serenity and peace and quiet. And then she's always kneeling and praying at the crib side of Jesus in the straw manger, But our first introduction to Mary does not look like this scene. She's puzzled. She's concerned. She's greatly troubled, the text says. Like what in the world is happening? She doesn't lack faith. I'm not trying to insinuate that, but she's just confused. She's caught off guard at at best and she has no social status. There's no familiar background given to her in the text. And yet this angel comes with this greeting, says, you're favored. The Lord is with you. It's like, what in the world is happening? One commentary writes it like this, that ironically, in Mary's season of waiting, in her culture, for honor that was given in the context of marriage when A couple came together. There's more honor over their household. And the household that she sought to gain was in the line of David. King David, the greatest king in the Old Testament, is Joseph's in his family line. And Mary is joining that. Like, there's a lot of honor there. So excited that this day is coming. But in a type of divine reversal, God meets her and says, Not the status of your husband, but rather the status of your son is what will bring you honor. And by God's own choice and initiative, Mary is invited in to his plan. God shows up and invites her in to be a part of his plan. Let's continue reading verse 30. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. At this, it would probably be almost a sigh of relief. Oh, this is what this is about. Thinking of as a, as a good Jewish girl who would have loads of biblical Old Testament knowledge. And you can look at uh, what certain traditions call the Mary's Magnificat or her song just later in Luke. And you could see all these Old Testament pictures and allusions all throughout that Mary knew the scriptures. Mary knew her Bible. In her mind, maybe she would have been jogged back to Sarai or her later it would be called Sarah and Abraham, where God opened the womb of this older couple who was never able to have children but God would graciously provide Isaac who would be the beginning of the Jewish nation that father Abraham the father of many nations our father in the faith or maybe her mind would jog back to first Samuel chapter one to Hannah where God graciously opened the womb with her and her husband Elkanah to give birth to Samuel a great judge and prophet and these hero women of the faith were Examples of what it looked like to trust God in the midst of unknown circumstances. But even though Mary maybe jogged their memory to one of these or other women throughout the scriptures, that this wouldn't be exactly Mary's story. The angel progresses as he begins to unveil more, unveil more of what this would be like when he begins to describe her child. Verse 32. He will be great. His name will be called son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom, there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Mary being a Jewish girl, undoubtedly of hearing the angel tell the description of who this child was to be would be excited, ecstatic, that finally the king we've longed for for generations is arriving and he's going to be from the lineage of David. I knew that, but me? Through my family line, my child will be this. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His dominion will be no end. The fulfillment of 2 Samuel chapter 7, the king that will reign forever is coming And in the social situation that Mary was placed in under Roman occupation, where she's being oppressed and mistreated and along with the rest of her people, she would have been a level of excitement, but also the same level of confusion. Because in her mind, maybe it would have been like, well, if this was a month after the wedding, no questions, this is only good news. This is a year later, a day of, even the timing just seems to be all off in Mary's mind. How will this be? The only statement that we have, the first statement we have in this whole narrative that Mary finally speaks up, she's just at this moment like, okay, this is exciting, but how is this going to be since I am a virgin? The timing seems all off because this news is good but it is costly for me we get the grace of knowing the whole story beginning to end and every year we reflect we read we hear sermons hear bible lessons all about this story and so it's hard for us just to put ourselves in Mary's shoes we've heard it a lot it kind of has lost its pizzazz if you will it's magic but Mary, without the knowledge that you and I have about her situation in this moment, could have been thinking about all the possible situations with this one question. If this is true, what will it cost me? You see, I'm promised to be married. I have these plans, my future husband, What? What? What if he doesn't accept this news so readily? At best, he divorces me and I have no husband. I have no honor. I'm shamed in my culture. I'm labeled as one that's unfaithful, who had a baby out of wedlock. At best. At worst, he publicly denounces me and shames me and Cast me out of the city with no resources, ostracized from all of my social networking, all of my family with no possibility of providing for myself, nor this new child that you're giving me this news of. At worst, worse, in some cases, I'm killed. How can this be? Fair question. But the angel doesn't allow Mary to, just to stew in her doubt. Stew in the unknownness, though the answer is equally as puzzling, she does receive an answer. Verse 35. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. You see, for this promise to be fulfilled, it's not an out of order timing. You see, unlike the forerunners of her faith, Mary would not need to wait for her wedding day for this promise to be fulfilled. Instead, the angel says that the Holy Spirit will overshadow her, will come upon her. The same Holy Spirit who hovered over the watery depths at the beginning of the book of Genesis, who brought creation into being in partnership with the Father and the Son. The same Holy Spirit who filled prophets and kings of the Old Testament to be great leaders and warriors and uh, communicators on the behalf of the Most High. That Spirit would come upon her and produce a miracle in her womb The life-giving spirit at creation is now going to come upon Mary and create new life within her womb. Mary, in many ways, doesn't have to wait in the same way that everyone else does with the coming of Christ. She knew way before anyone else that his arrival was coming. You see, the word overshadowed in verse 35 is used all throughout the scriptures as a word that what it looks like and what it is when God's presence draws close to his people and becomes tangible. It's used in Exodus 40, verse 35, when it says this, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. It was close, it was intimate, it overshadowed them. You see, this word is exactly what you think it means. If you stand close to a tall building with the sun in the opposite direction, you're consumed by the shadow. You no longer have a shadow. It overshadows you. It's in front of you. It's to the left of you. It's to the right of you. It's behind you. You have no shadow. You are fully encompassed in the shadow of that much larger, more powerful entity. Mary is told by Gabriel that the power of the Lord would overshadow her, consume her from within and all around her. That something bigger than her or that she could even imagine is happening. I'm going to do a small rabbit trail here because you may have some questions. Like I do. Like, how is it that this works out? Like, it would be right of someone writing about me, like trying to discern and like, how do these dots connect? Like, how is it that God is the father of this child? How is it that a a virgin could give birth, as verse 34 says? And what does it mean that this child, in the ending of verse 35, to be born would be called holy, the son of God? Like, why does this matter that this happens in this way? As Advent is looking backwards at the first coming of Christ, longing for the second, reverse and forwards. Why does it matter what well, matters for two reasons. It matters that Jesus was born of a virgin because it is true when the scriptures say that he is fully human and fully divine. That he is born in this way like us, but unlike us. Because he is 200%. He's 100% God because he is born of the Holy Spirit. But he is 100% man because he is born of Mary, a human woman. But the second reason this is important is because this virgin birth allows Jesus to escape the edemic curse of sin. In Hebrews 4:15, it says that he is like us in every way, yet without sin. And this is how this occurs in a practical sense. Hebrews 7:26 and 27 talks about how he is like us, yet he is unlike us. That Jesus is like us in every way, yet he is without sin. This is accomplishing the first good news proclamation from Genesis 3.15, where it says the father declared indeed that the seed of the woman would crush the head of Satan. That it was from woman that Satan's head would be once and for all crushed, singular, talking about Christ. You see, the reality is for us, for Jesus to be born of the Holy Spirit and Mary, it changes everything. He is like us. He has come close. But yet he is unlike us. He is distinct. He is God in the flesh. The magic of Christmas, if you will, the power within Advent is that God has come near to us. And this angel's announcement to Mary It's much like our modern day pregnancy test. It's news. It's good news that Mary knows now how her life is about to change and evolve. But also in the same way that for many of us, this is an examples of joy and sorrow. Because for Mary to become pregnant in this age would have been joy and being scared. Joy and fear working in tandem together because what it would cost a first century woman to become pregnant and the potential complications, the lack of medical care, all these different things happening in her day, it was working in tandem. But how would this be? Back to her original question. You see, the angel not only answers in verse 35, but in verse 36, he gives Mary an example or evidence that his word to her would come true because of someone else in her life. And that someone else was her much older relative, Elizabeth. And a fulfillment that, hey, Mary, you can have confidence in what I'm telling you is true. It's because your much older relative, Elizabeth, she's already six months pregnant. And before this intervention of God intervening in their story, they were never able to have children of their own. So you need to go and see her. And according to the narrative from this moment to Mary going and seeing Elizabeth, sometime in that period is most likely when Mary was conceived by the Holy Spirit and became pregnant because when Elizabeth meets her, he says, the mother of my Lord, the baby leaps within her womb. And Mary is told this final statement from the angel before he leaves in verse 37, where he says simply, nothing is impossible with God. Not your barren cousin becoming pregnant, not... Immaculate conception, nothing is impossible with God. And this echoes all throughout the Bible every time where it simply is this God always does what he says. Jesus is coming. He said in the very beginning, when everything went wrong in Genesis chapter three, verse 15, that there would be one who would come to crush the head of the serpent. He is coming. He is the most high. He is the one who deserves to sit on David's throne from second Samuel chapter seven. He is the one who will reign forever as the eternal king. He is the son of God. He is the most high. He is the one who comforts the people from Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 40, verse one, where he simply says, comfort, comfort. My people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. Her sin has been paid for. She has received from the Lord's hand a double portion for all of her sins. A voice of one is calling in the wilderness Prepare a way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley will be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground should become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed to all people and we'll see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry, and I will say, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty like a flower in the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely people are grass. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Isaiah 40 verse eight says, God's word will always come true. Luke one thirty seven says, God's word always comes true. And up to verse 37 in Luke's gospel, Mary has only spoken a simple one-sentence question. How can this be? I'm a virgin. She's been silent up to this point. She's been quiet. But she responds. She responds to the word of the Lord coming via the angel. Where this difficult news that potentially has the potential to ruin her life, wreck her life, or be the most magnificent thing that ever happened to her. She receives this news and she responds. Again, with a simple one sentence, no longer a question. Instead, we get a statement of faith, a declaration. Verse 38. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your Mary, in this moment, receiving this confusing, hard to swallow, yet life changing news, shifts her focus not to the situation with all the possible outcomes, but simply to God and affirms His Word. Affirms that God keeps His promises. For many, it's a moment, a pregnancy announcement with new life, which is simply excitement. For Mary and her lineage uh, of ethnically, of Jewish, for generations, they've longed for a rescuer to come on the scene. And this affirmation that he is the son of God would be, it's coming through her. We're left with a good measure of mystery in this story, but the emphasis is clear that God initiated the full work of redemption by coming through Mary. He says, he is coming He's coming through you. How will you respond? Mary's given further confirmation with Elizabeth, who's already miraculously conceived by special intervention of God's power. And this is another sign of reinforcement to Mary. And she's given this proverbial statement that God's power is unlimited. And he invites Mary in her situation to have faith because of someone else's. So no matter in our sorrow or our joy, we can look around us in in our own situation to see that God is still at work. That he is still the God of wonders, working and moving in what looks like impossible situations. And Mary is given a last word. Before the angel leaves, she gets to say one final thing. And she declares, her faith, an unreserved readiness to be used for God's purposes. Mary here is a pattern. She's simply a pattern of what the Christian faith is to look like, to respond to God's unique calling on our lives. So as we look backwards at the first coming of Christ and how his mother Mary responded in the midst of an uncertain moment in her life, The question for you and I, how will you respond in uncertain moments? Facing a situation that looks impossible to be solved, will your eyes shift to the issues and you like a mathematician just trying to figure out like, how can I solve this? Or will you respond in faith shifting your eyes to God and simply say, I'm the Lord's servant. Let it be according to your word. Will you look to other possible solutions to put band on, on on bullet holes? Or will you look to the Lord and say, where are you leading me? How are you working? I trust you. You see, Mary doesn't know the outcome in this moment. Mary doesn't know what you and I know yet in the story. She doesn't know how, Joseph will respond she doesn't know how her family will respond she doesn't know how the culture around her will respond she simply knows how can I respond right now the same is true for you you don't know the future you don't know what the drive home is going to be like next week next season of your life You could be on the highest mountaintop or the lowest valley right now. You don't know what the next one looks like. But you can choose how you will respond. I'm baffled at Mary's story. I've sat with this for weeks of knowing this is the next text I was gonna preach. And it's just like, how does she respond like this? How does she have this amount of courage and faith and just unresolved, unwavering, I am the servant of the Lord. And he always keeps his word. It's essentially what Mary says. She echoes Isaiah 40 verse eight from a prophet hundreds of years before her, where he says the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Maybe Genesis 3.15 is rolling through Mary's mind. He's the snake crusher. You see, like Mary, you don't have to know the details to trust God in the process. Because history, time and time again, has always had its ebbs and flows by the shifting of power from one prominent king or prophet or ruler to another. But the kingdom of God breaks into the world In a time marked by the progression of a simply what looks like an unknown pregnant woman from the middle of nowhere who has unwavering faith that says, God, I'm yours. We can see Mary's faith in this moment, but you can also see the identity of your Savior. Holy Son of God. The one who sits on the throne. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords has drawn close. And we remember the first advent, the first arrival of Christ when he first came close. Because the reality is no matter what season of life you're in, if this is a season of abundance, laughter, and joy, or if this is a season of sorrow and despair, He will come close. Close like in the womb of a pregnant woman. I I don't know how you get closer than that. It's a pattern how God desires to reside within us in relationship with us and seeks to be the reason That we celebrate seeks to be the reason we live that how we worship that we respond to how he's moving and working in the word in the world and in our lives how will you and i respond with every moment of our lives because no matter what group that you sit in whether you're hope-filled or sorrow-filled in this Moment, if you have joy or lack, we can all choose to faith and trust. We can all be a little bit like Mary, who responds whenever she gets the chance to process on this long journey and she goes and visits Elizabeth and then she gets her song. And these four simple verses, I'll just read the first four verses of this and then we'll pray and worship together. She responds like this. She says, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. His name, is holy. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you came to be with us. It's the reason we celebrate. It's the reason we pause and decorate our house and change the things that we do on a regular basis. It's The reason we're gathered today is because you came to be with us. And our choice is, is how will we respond to the way that you're moving and working? Jesus, I pray in this moment that those who are filled with joy, that their life is going well and they're on a mountaintop moment, they would bless your name. They would sing loud. They would celebrate who you are and the fact that you came to be with them. For those who are hurting and feel like this is just a reminder of the lack and the desert of their life that is right now, may they be filled with faith, hope, and courage that they too can respond like Mary that I am the servant of the Lord. May your word be true. May you draw close. May you overshadow every person in this room and remind them that you're closer than they even understand. And that for all of us, we can choose faith and trust no matter what our situation is. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, would you stand and sing with us?